Hello, this is Dr. Daniel Van Ingen with this week's Parenting Podcast and the Dr. Van Ingen Clinical Psychology and Parenting Show. My guest today is Megan Buchanan. I'm so excited to have you here, Megan. Uh, Megan is an aerospace engineer, an adventure athlete, and a motivational speaker. And she has set her sights on becoming the first rocket scientist to climb the seven summits, fifth U.S. woman to complete the Explorer's Grand Slam. That sounds incredible and climbing the world seven summits and last degree ski to the north and south poles and eventually the first u.s woman to complete the adventurer's grand slam she is just this incredible incredible legend from woodland park and when i think of woodland park high school in woodland park colorado i think of some of the greats like mr leonard and mr bissell and trent dodds and Bob, the math teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and Jed Hafer and Jed, our buddy, would say, what in the heck are you doing putting me in the same category as Megan Buchanan? <laughs> but Megan is here to give us some amazing ideas and thoughts about gratitude, growth, resilience, integrity, and tenacity. You are just um, making such a difference for people. Uh, Megan, I have so many questions. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. You for having me from one Woodland Park alum to another. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm driving and in the back my son is like, here are here's a fact about turtles. And you know, oh that's great. My son's name is Freedom. That's great, Freedom. And then he gives me a fact about Antarctica. Ooh. And that's great. I'm like, that's great, Freedom. And you know, he's you know, I don't even know what the fact was, but it's like Antarctica for the most of us or is like, you know, in outer space. Yeah, yeah, it's like the moon. <laughs> but yeah. Megan Buchanan is back from Antarctica. So tell us what's going on. Well, um, I thank you for having me. I continue my my expeditions to get through the seven summits in the North and South Pole. And um you know, I actually just returned from Mount Everest a couple weeks ago. And so that one is checked off as well after three years of training for Everest and then COVID, wow. like many other, many other people's lives, um, you know, their livelihood, everything, goals, um, dreams, vacations, everything was put on hold. Yeah, it definitely was um, kind of bumpy in the mountaineering world. Um, but returned and that is kind of part of grit and that resilience of you don't make it the first time get back up and go back again but um everest was the sixth of the seven summits so right before that i was in antarctica this past december and january where i did climb mount vincent and back to back with the last degree ski to the south pole so that was very exciting and antarctica is absolutely an amazing amazing place and it is like kind of being on the moon the, the habitats that they have just for the season. I mean, you're you're in the middle of nowhere. There there is no help coming if something happens. So <laughs> it's really interesting. But yeah, so just keep ticking away at this, and then I will finish the seven summits this November in Indonesia and Karzant's Pyramid. Then hopefully wow. next spring I will be doing the North Pole and like you said that uh, last degree ski, which is the Explorer's Grand Slam. Um, only four U.S. women have done it, but really only 12 women internationally have done it, which is really sad to me 
because you would think more people, but it's, it's, it is dedication. It's a lot of time. It's not a cheap hobby. Um, and, and it takes a lot of failing and getting back up and going back for more. <laughs> Megan of the seven summits, which, what is the hardest one? Is it Everest? Ooh, excellent question. Um, it kind of actually, the toss up is usually for people between Everest and Denali, which okay. is Alaska. Um, and they're very hard in different ways for me. I actually felt that Denali was a little bit harder. Denali is completely unsupported. You have got 50 to 60 pound pack on your back and then you're, you're pulling a 50 to 60 pound sled behind you. You and your team are the only ones bringing you stuff in and you have to take all your stuff back out. And it, it, it I love that mountain. It doesn't care if you're male or female, if you weigh 120 pounds, 220 pounds, you're carrying the same stuff. So it's this beautiful experience where for you personally, when you have summited and get your weight yourself back down off that one, you have such a feeling of, of um, like, like proud of yourself that that one, you really, you really did it. And, and Everest of course is, is difficult and it's crazy and it's long and it's mentally challenging. You do work in this amazing team, though. You have so much support with your mountaineering company, um, with your Sherpa. And that one is, I think, more of a team experience. Um, I think that's a great question to ask me probably in six more months, because Everest hasn't really all settled in for me yet. My brain hasn't caught up with what happened. <laughs> Congratulations on everything you're Thank doing. You. It's such an inspiration. Um, one of you know one of the things that i do in sports psychology is i work with young athletes i work with college professional olympic athletes but uh, i work with a lot of high school athletes and going into this summer um i was talking to this young man and i said hey do you want to go into this summer this is summer before you've seen year where we just you know you hang out you party on friday nights and saturday nights you look forward to that friday night party or do you want to go into Friday looking forward to that Saturday morning 5 a.m. workout? And what is going to be your mentality going into your senior year in your sport? Are you going to spend this summer going all in, all out? And of course, we talked about recovery, which I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, but we talked about having that tenacity, that grit, where you're going to dedicate the whole summer to really preparing yourself to be the absolute best that you can be. And when I hear about you training for three years for Mount Everest and putting aside the pleasures and the comforts, but bringing all of it, what do you say to those, these young athletes who want to be, want to pursue excellence in their area? First What's all, your words of wisdom? Yeah, I mean, how amazing it is, especially when you look at younger athletes. Um, I, I have learned over the years really how to time manage, how to dedicate. Um, I can't imagine that pressure that young on myself. Um, so it's amazing that these kids and young adults have that ownership and that self-motivation. Um, and that is what it takes to, I, my, to reach your full potential. And, and fulfill everything. I mean, it. it's interesting too, because I all of a sudden I'm back from Everest 
And the first weekend I'm back, I'm used to my alarm going off on a Saturday. I work a full-time job. So usually the weekends are hard training, really hard out on the mountain for eight hours at a time. My alarms, I don't have to get up at 6 a.m. and go right now because Carzins is a different kind of, my next, my next climb is very different. And I'm like, I've been doing this for three years. Like, what am I supposed to do with myself now? <laughs> but what I've kind of learned is I have created really my own creature in myself. I live for that journey and that drive and that training. That mm-hmm. is what I live for. And I think by teaching um, young people that early on, how that sets them up for life, for everything they're gonna be doing into career, into relationships. And, and so many kids, I think that's what sports does in general, is kind of teaches you some dedication, how to commit, what teamwork is. But when you're talking to a senior who has that potential and asking them to really dedicate like you're talking about, that is next level. And what that teaches a person is that self-motivation, that dedication, and that is what got me to the top of Everest. Um, They always say, don't be in the best shape of your life, be in Everest shape of your life before you go. And it does mean, I mean, the other climbs I've done, I'm just in general good shape. I go hike, I weight train, but no, you're right. It was, I was no longer, I'm not staying out Friday, Saturday night, keeping it up. I told myself the last three years, I'm a happy hour friend. I will meet you around three to six times, and then I gotta go home and I've gotta eat well, especially because I'm older. I have to get up early, I have to train because I want something and I'm dedicated to it. So you do, I I think it's probably hard for younger people to really understand. You you think about like a summer that seems like forever when you're young, as an adult, you're like, oh, a summer, that's nothing, that's a blip. So to be able to get someone to dedicate and be able to see past and what goal they're working for is invaluable um, to teaching someone grit and how to make it through any challenge in their life. How does gratitude fit into your grit? Uh, It is the first G in grit, um, there's two Gs, because it is the base for everything I have found in my life. Um, You know, being uh, diagnosed very early, luckily, um, as dyslexic, um, and I was diagnosed because I had teachers and schoolmates made fun of me, horrible fun of me in second grade. My teacher was not a great guy. Um, And I stopped reading, I refused to read. And that's when my mother picked up on it and we went to all these experts and we're so sorry, Miss Buchanan, your child has a learning disability. She's not going to achieve much academically. And it was my mom who sat me down and it's like, you know, don't listen to anyone else. You can be anything you want to be. You are just going to have to work harder than everybody else and that starts today. And my mom, my grandfather, my father, taught me to always look for what I'm grateful for, to help me get through the hard times. And everything I've gone through in my life, um, when I'm feeling very low, I start practicing, especially I wake up in the morning before I get out of bed, start with one thing, what am I grateful for? And then you move to two, then you move to three. But Mm -hmm. what that does is it starts all of it spiraling up. If you can think of one thing, no matter what kind of condition is going on for your life, one thing you're grateful for, that starts to turn your mental thought process around and build off that positivity. So 
being grateful for where you're at right now, what you have mm. right now is the, the foundation for overcoming all challenges. You've got yeah. to have that before you can take on anything else. I, I love how you wrote this. I think I got it from your um, website. It says, life doesn't get easier, but you have the choice every day to dig in, grit it out, and get better at dealing with any challenge. Yeah. It seems like, um, so I have a question about your background, Megan. You're a female engineer with learning differences. What is, um, what's it like being a female engineer with learning differences? You can break that down into two totally separate categories of what's it like to have a learning disability and be an engineer and what's it like to be a female being an engineer <laughs> and then you put them together. <laughs> and I, I don't know anything about those. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that's where the tenacity comes in. You, I, I've had to be very tenacious and never mm -hmm. and not back down. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, I don't know any different. <laughs> so I can't really <laughs> think comparison to anything. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, especially having dyslexia through school, uh, we went to the same school together. And one of the things is I'm obviously, I'm a smart person. I may not test well, but I'm smart. So I listened. And as long as I went to class in high school, you pretty much, there, there isn't a lot of, um, uh, I guess, uh, adaptive or intuitive. Uh, there's, if you listen, you can pretty much, you know, pass your test. Um, but when I got to college, it really, really became hard because I could not keep up with the reading. And yeah. that's what started hitting me. And, and I, it's so funny. I go and talk, especially to high school kids and college kids, and I share with them. I um, had to take a semester of academic probation, I think, uh, my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to really, my grade point average was too low for the School of Engineering. And I had to really dig deep. I took six, uh, a semester off and figure out, is this what I want or not? Because if I do, I'm going to have to start working harder. And so there was a lot of failure interviewing for jobs. My GPA wasn't good enough for a lot of jobs. So I, I would, you know, you build your personal personality around it or you yeah. come up with creative ways. Now I call it the dyslexic advantage. Um, I'm like, if I can at least, if I can just get myself into an interview, I'll nail it. I'll nail it. I'll get the job. And so you start learning um, I use the word hustle and I mean it in the best positive way. It's not like trying to um, uh, be dishonest, that kind of hustle. Like it's just the work, the work, the struggle every day in and out, putting in the time to get where you want to be. And that is, you know, learning from high school to college, that's where that all started for me. And so when I got to into working at this point, I had already been through so much that I did face sexual harassment um, and also just um, misogyny and all these different things. At this point, I already had kind of created a voice for myself. And I was like, no, we're not going down like this. And so starting to deal with it there. But so much of that and, and anything you go through and it applies to any challenge is you've mm -hmm. got to learn to believe in yourself and love yourself and yeah. know yeah, right. Like, mm -hmm. like, no, because we all go through imposter syndrome and all these different things. And sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it until you build up that backbone for yourself. What but, I love about grit and gratitude, excuse me, what is um, and how you talk is that there's like this gratitude for our adversity or, yeah. or setbacks. 
uh, one, of, one of my big messages is that your best psychology is seeing adversity as positive. And, um, and some of the challenges that it seems like you're so free to talk about is sometimes it, it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. Oh, it does. Like one of my favorite exercises is list your top 10 failures. And so I can go through my list of failures. Uh, I, my dream was to pay, play college basketball. I was a little younger than you, but you know, I tried to follow in the footsteps of like Trent Dodds and I just wasn't good enough when I was 20 years old, heartbroken. And then from, from a work situation not working out to failed relationships to three years ago, I just reached the point of complete burnout where I had gone years um, without really any self-care, no exercise and, and just kind of faced a time of burnout and really had to make some significant changes in my life. Um, but so much good comes out of the adversity. And I want to talk about one of the greatest comeback stories that I've ever read, which is you where you went from broken femur to Mount Everest. And so your horrendous snowboard accident at Super Bowl Sunday 2011 um, and uh, let me just give the, the background for our listeners. You were in Vail and you had a, the snow, you were snowboarding and, um, and a tree fell, but it was under four feet of snow that you didn't see. Yeah. And so you hit this tree and yeah. what happened there? Oh man. So femur bone. Yeah, pretty much the it, I broke the head off my femur, bone shot up and um, spiral fracture the rest of it and all the muscles ripped off. It was awesome, and um, it we were way in the back holes and my friends actually had to eventually get ski patrol. They couldn't find me, so I had been there an hour, just internally bleeding. And um, no, so it, it it was bad. It was emergency surgery. I I was. Um, uh, hypothermic I was in shock I was bleeding out um and I woke to a 14 inch rod down the middle of my femur pinned in and they're just like you're you are lucky to be alive and you're going to have a wheelchair or a cane the rest of your life we're so sorry <laughs> and I remember like I'm totally high on morphine I just remember thinking to myself well next challenge because that's not happening for me and then and then the work began so again, yeah, it was because of, again, where, where, and this is really where grit was born for me. It was a two year process of, and I ended up having to leave my job um, that I loved. I ended up moving a relationship broken up, I spent every dollar I had when I had exceeded all my insurance. And it was, you know, I became my own hobby. And I invested in myself because I did not want that to be my life. And I wouldn't believe in it. I knew there was something wrong. And it turns out I was allergic to the titanium rod in my leg. Wow. So it, was, it took us about a year and a half to figure that out of extreme pain. And so by the time I got it out and finally finished physical therapy, probably after a little over two years, but all I could think about during that time, again, what are you grateful for? And I was like, so I'd climbed Kilimanjaro before with my dad and my dad had passed since. And I'm sorry to hear that, Megan. Oh, thank you. It was a while ago, but he was a huge inspiration for me. And 
But I was like, I want to go climb Kilimanjaro again. I want to go climb Kilimanjaro again and, and hike to Everest Base Camp. That was my love, the outdoors. So that was going through your mind during this two years of intense physical yeah. therapy. Yeah. And okay. titanium allergies or. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, that is what I will do again. And when I got back, the I, I did Everest Base Camp. And I was stronger mentally and emotionally than I had ever. And that's where it clicked for me. I was like, man, everything I just went through yeah. has made me a better person. Like, wow. I am strong, like mentally. How, how many surgeries did you have during that those two years? Uh, two, I, I had two surgeries. I had a lot of, um, I was put under for several different injections. I mean, we tried everything under the sun um, and they couldn't figure out what was, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. I mean, I was in little, my muscles would not grow back. And I was in physical therapy three times a week. That's how I, I ended up moving to Vail from Denver. And, I, and I, I, I took a year off of work to just work on my leg. And um, yeah, the doctors and the best, like the best um, orthopedic surgeons are up in, in Vail. And they were passing me around all the famous people who, who are, you know, our U.S. ski team doctors. And they're just like, yeah, we've never seen this. We don't know what's going on. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> But we, you know, I kept the positivity. Um, of course, it's very difficult. Of course, I went through, you know, uh, depressions. But I, I was focused on keeping, like, always take one step forward. We might have a setback. We've got to take another step forward and keep fighting for this. And yeah, so then I ended up doing base camp. And then I, then I was like, all right, I'm going to Killy next. So I climbed Killy again and killed it. And then I was like. I'm going to go do Aconcagua. I want to go higher. And it was Aconcagua, South America, 23,000 feet. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. And I realized it was from my mental strength. Pain didn't bother me. The struggle didn't bother me. And so that's when I, that's when I really figured out I have something with grit going on here. And I'm going to do the seven summits. And then wow. I had the North and South Pole. Well, so... Let's go back. So from Super Bowl Sunday 2011, over the next two years on your timeline, yeah, it was an absolute struggle. When did you, and they, they say you're going to be in a chair and you want to walk, right? Uh, or, yeah, I was at this point, I, I was on crutches for six to eight months. Oh, so you were going to be able to walk, but yeah, yeah, extreme limitations. Yeah. Okay. When did yeah. you start to believe? Was it right away? Like, was that your self-talk? Or yes. did you go through ups and downs, ebb and flow? Um, yes, but self-talk, I love you said that because I am a huge, so much in my life. And if, actually, if you're on my Instagram, every, sometimes I'll mention it where I call, I call myself Buchanan when I talk to myself and we have to get something done. If it's something easy, I'll call myself <laughs> Megan, but usually it's Buchanan. And we, <laughs> but there was a lot of self-talk. And yeah. right away though, the diagnosis they gave me, I'm like, that, that's not, that's not gonna be happening. So let's start working. But then when I'd have huge setbacks and, and then no one could answer me, no one could figure out why I wasn't getting better. Of course there were times, and when you're in chronic, chronic pain, I mean, four yeah. seven felt like my muscles wanted to rip off my bone. That absolutely puts you into a depression. Um, it's very, your, your, like your receptors are completely burnt out. Anything that happens, you're, you're emotional like that. I mean, it, it's very difficult to go through. 
I will tell you, talk about sports. Um, I was at Howard Head um, Rehabilitation up in Vail. They're just amazing. There's professional athletes that come through there constantly because they have surgeries. And there were, during the time, over the two years, there were two young athletes that took their lives um, because of the depression, wow. because they felt their careers were over. And mm -hmm. that is another thing that inspired me to reach out to others and be like, you know, you can, you can keep going. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to believe there's something else there out there for you. And that, that was so impacted me so thoroughly. And so therefore I was grateful for my positivity. Yeah. And I actually, you know, I told Howard head, I was just like, anyone, anyone that needs to talk, give them my number. I will talk to them. Um, you know, that's the biggest challenge. Excuse me, Megan. That's the biggest challenge. I think, you know, when, when, an injury leads to an early retirement, or even a college player, like college baseball player, uh, who loses his, uh, or young pro who loses, loses his identity because of injury. He can no longer, he or she can no longer play. And then what's the next chapter? Yeah. You know, that's tough. Where do you find that next purpose? Mm -hmm. Now you somehow dug in you had to fight through some really tough, dark moments to get through the other side. Yeah. How, how did you have that kind of, I mean, that's where grit grew during those two years. Is that what happened? That is where I, I realized, because, and I have to say what you're saying to me right now, people kept telling me like, how do you keep going? Yeah. And I didn't realize that that wasn't something everybody did. <laughs> I think that's where I discovered my, that I had grit. And so then I was able to look back at my life and I figured out, well, cause I already learned how to push through from being a, as a kid, I already learned those tools. And that's why when this challenge came up, it was a, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're going to fix it. And it was, that is why, you know, through years of dyslexia and years of struggling through college, um, that time to me went by quickly because all I knew, all I knew how to do was fight for what I want mm -hmm. and I wasn't going to give up. Mm -hmm. And I think every time I thought about, well, what if I was told so many times by doctors, I'm sorry, but this is just your life. You have to accept it. And I do understand that there, there is a healthy, there's a healthy balance there where I do understand if, if I actually had an injury that was so critical that th there's also a time where you do need to accept things. But I'll tell you, my intuition knew there was something wrong. There, I just, I knew there was something wrong and it wasn't adding up. So I, I was my own advocate and I kept moving forward. And like I said, I think that was already in me from practicing for so many years to keep fighting. And it turns out, yeah, there was something wrong. I was allergic to the titanium. <laughs> so the surgeries, a lot of dark moments, tough places in the valley, uh, depressive times, being told it's not going to happen, uh, accept your limitations and your injuries. And somehow you battle through these tough times and what 10 years later you climb Everest I mean you talk about from <laughs> the depths of despair to the joy and jubilation of right? this amazing accomplishment yeah. 
representing all of us at Wolf from Woodland Park. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, I do need to look up if how many people from Woodland have ever climbed. I don't know if anyone else has. It's not hard to be the first of something from Woodland Park, though. And that's right. For those listening, it was a very small high school. So I, lo I love the ideas. Um, so, so I've got this young man who is injured, and he's going into his senior year in high school, and he has a small window. He's trying to attain a Division One scholarship. So the anxiety is starting to kick in, the worry is starting to elevate, and he feels like this summer is a key time and he's not sure how long this back injury is going to last. And you know what it's like with a little bit of that pressure and now there's like a time frame. Um, yeah. What kind of encouragement do you have for, for some of these athletes who, how can they let go how can they apply grit, but let go of that time frame and reinforce that positive self-talk for themselves? That is such a good question. Um, because even, you know, for me, I, I have a regular day job. I could always fall back on, which is, you know, that, that gives me support. Mountaineering isn't my source of income. So I know for a young person who's really looking at that, that, that holds a lot more weight for them. So it's easier for me to say, even though I've trained so many years and I've spent all my savings on this thing, you know, walking out of this healthy and happy is my number one goal. I understand though that that that's very hard for a lot of people who this is going to be their livelihood. But what what I would say is this kind of comes back to we we all need to learn this is kind of the growth portion of it too. It is hard to let ourselves be vulnerable and let ourselves be human because especially I think youth today is taught that they have to be perfect, they can never make a mistake um, and, and your life will be ruined forever if you do. And so doing some of that self-work along with you know training for whatever sport it is, I think is very, very critical in learning to, I don't wanna be cliche, but love yourself and, and, and accept that in this life, things do not work out perfectly planned and they mm -hmm. never will. <laughs> and you need to start developing the coping skills to go with that ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. And I think though that to tell someone, you know, 16 to 25 that you can tell them, but their heart isn't gonna feel that. So mm -hmm. how, how do you help them with that? And maybe what it is then is I think there's so much power in mentoring. Um, and so, and you having a podcast, talking to people who have gone through injuries and how they bounce back, I think is so important in you as a mentor to them to help guide them through coping. Because I think that's something that's really missing for kids today um, is, is the allowed to be human, the allowed to fail and then figure out okay, what is my next step then? And move towards that. I, one of the big things I teach in GRIT is really learning the difference between what you can and cannot control. The things that you cannot control, you should not waste an ounce of energy on. Have a cry one night and then next morning wake up and start using your energy for a solution. 
Mm-hmm. And that has been such a powerful tool for me. Last year on Everest, I was there the year before. And and the year before, the reason I trained three years, I was supposed to go in 2020. Um, COVID hit. It was canceled two weeks before I was supposed to leave. Oh, wow. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll train a whole nother year. I train a whole nother year because there is a, there's a two week window. You can summit. Talk about a window. So you have to wait a whole nother year. (laughs) I go back. We were on the mountain for seven weeks doing rotations. There are two cyclones and then we were ready to go for summit bid. Our entire Sherpa climbing, our climbing Sherpa got COVID. And like that, everyone ordered off the mountain expedition done. I'd spent seven weeks. I allowed myself that night because we found out very late at night. We're supposed to leave at 3 a.m. the next day. I let myself have a quick cry. I went to sleep and the next day I woke up and I know I'm like, I can't control this. All right. And already I was like, how are you going to pay to go next year? And I started, or let's go, what's the next mountain you're going to climb? And I started putting my energy right into the next thing, the next goal. Don't waste your energy on what you cannot control. Focus in on what you can. I want to ask you about reverse triggers. Everyone talks about trigger, like an addiction work, right? Know you trigger, Red Bull, 7-Eleven. That's what he mixed with alcohol. Avoid 7-Eleven, right? (laughs) Identify your triggers, avoid, right? But, you know, with athletes, it's like um, tennis elbow. And, And so they're over that injury, but there's that bodily memory, that fear, right? That trace in our hippocampus, it's like, I hope that doesn't flare up again. Yeah. Or the baseball player who swings with the with the back spasms. Or a basketball player who who sprained his ankle several times or her ankle several times. After your injury, when you were either skiing again or climbing or any of the other sports training, how did you ignore those natural fears that come up? Or what did you do? How did you counter them? Yeah. And and be in the moment, engage, be present rather than limited by the past. Great question. And that that comes all down to self-talk again. First of all, you do need to apply actual lessons. I will never go 25 miles an hour on a tree line and powder again. That was that was a bad idea. Um, (laughs) but then after that, no, I did, as soon as I could snowboard again, I got back up on board. I went right back up and, and, and to this day, I mean, that is an excellent question. Anything I do, like even I mountain bike a lot and I've had some, I've broken my shoulder. I've broken a lot of bones and I'll, whenever my mind, I think the way that you combat that is you need to have a lot of self-awareness and you need to be aware of your thoughts and you need to be aware of how those triggers lie to you in your brain and try to try to mess you up. Mm-hmm. And the minute I start going down a path of thinking about, um, you know, like an accident or snowboarding or mountain biking, the last time I endowed, I actually am very aware and I stop myself right away. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not thinking about negative because it will lead us negative. We're going to think positive. And yeah. so then I just instantly imagine myself, you know, nailing that downhill, um, you know, again, it kind of comes back to that positivity and that, that gratitude. And that is how, that is how I have done it. It's everything from, yeah, climbing when I've been ice climbing before and, you know, I didn't hook and 
you know, smacked myself against ice or whatever it is, the next time I just imagine myself doing it, you know, right and engaging and trusting my gear. And so I think mm -hmm. it is, it is having that awareness and then shifting your mind to know we're going to envision what we want. Yeah. Megan, I want to ask you about integrity. That's a key part of grit. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things I was thinking about going into what I wanted to ask you about integrity, what is identity? Um, when we lose our identity, you know, everyone remembers their, every athlete remembers their last game. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the average NFL lineman plays three years at 25. What do I do? I know, right? Even if you make it to the pros where, whether it's the MLS or, or, soccer in La Liga or, or, you know, in Europe somewhere, you, you eventually 25, 26, what's next, right? So even young athletes have to prepare for a future, whether it's in coaching or what expertise, what area are they going to pursue to make a difference, make an impact, to make a living. Um, so integrity is beyond just, you know, what's your area right now? Um, but I think that's one of the things, or excuse me, identity that, yeah. um, so could you speak to that and talk about how integrity fits into grit overall? Yeah. And it's a lot of people too are like, how does this one fit? But it's, it is a core value that I was raised with and, and it probably was, um, oh my gosh, I love when I start talking about something and I get teary. Like, I know, you know, like, that's the path of the truth. When you, when you get teary about something. Um, I think because I struggled so much with my dyslexia and my parents, you know, they, they taught me that, that identity, going down that, that path of authenticity. You need to find out who your authentic self is and you need to stay that path. And it may, it's, it's not the easy choice always. And you, but you need to do that. You need to treat others with respect. You need to treat yourself with respect, which is so important. And that, that was a core value that has stayed with me. And I think with my dyslexia, the reason why is because they wanted me to engage in working hard and not try to take shortcuts because they knew in the long run that that would hurt me. And I think it's so important is what you're talking about specifically with young athletes they they make their identity about exactly that what they're doing at that moment mm -hmm. um what i what i have learned and what what living authentic self is you you learn to redefine or align yourself with the identity of core values and those core values will stick with you no matter what you're doing it can it, it will apply throughout your life mm -hmm. so so that work that needs to go into that is really the learning to accept who you are and to love who you are. And those again are very, uh, you can say that and people will be like, oh yes, I'm learning to love myself. I will tell you, I, I've been on this, this path of self-awareness since a child. My, my dad, um, you know, he was, he was reading Wayne Dyer to me as a kid. Um, so, so I've been on this path, it's not new to me. But yeah, you are so far ahead of all of us Woodland Park people were trying to f <laughs> write articles and journalism and get out of school I know. go to pizza <laughs> yeah i did all those things um but it really has taken me into my 40s 
to, and it was actually on Everest last year when I had this moment where all of my life work clicked over, yeah. where I had this moment where I'm like, I finally, I accept myself. And there's, and, and we all, where it's a spectrum. And I was probably there of accepting myself, but still there was that last moment. It will always be a life journey, but I finally accepted myself like at, at, at 46 years old. How long did that take? <laughs> and everything that comes with it. And it is so free, but I do encourage everyone to start that journey. Yeah. Finding their authentic self as early as possible. Um, because it does give such purpose to this life. Yeah. And always, it helps you set those next goals and also accept things. Like I, I was saying, I, I don't like the word failure. To me, the only thing that I failed at is when I knowingly went against my heart or my gut. Otherwise, that was just mm -hmm. growth. Mm -hmm. I, I may not reach yeah. the summit, but I still had the journey. I learned so much about myself. And to be able to to have that outlook as you navigate through this completely throwing at you life at obstacles and everything else that's gonna happen, it just makes it easier to deal with. I love that peak experience, that peak moment you had in Everest. I had a peak moment in July of 2020. I was in the gym over here a couple miles from my home at Anytime Fitness. I was in an area, not a lot of people there. Um, and I had this um, epiphany that if you really want to prove to yourself that you can change, you're going to jump out of a plane. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I was like, no way. I can't even do a kid's ride at SeaWorld with my little one without being oh scared. <laughs> so I was like, no way. So I went on to interview like 10 people uh just who's done it get some you know researches all this stuff in the next four months finally i reached a point and i think it was december 6th where i was just going to do it and i made a video um and you know to my family that if i'm gonna die here's my video <laughs> and i drove north an hour to you know where i jumped and and somehow I did it, but I'll never forget that peak moment. And yeah. it can happen anywhere. Yeah. Yours is an amazing on Mount Everest. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, that's, that's the thing too. And honestly, what it was is I was to a point where uh, you can do this, uh, you know, there's the 14 peaks over 8,000 meters and right next to Everest, uh, right next to it, like you can saddle is Lhotse. And people were, this is a big thing now. You can do Everest, stay the night at Camp 3 and, or Camp 4, and then you go up to Lhotse. And, and last year, I was like, well, maybe other people are doing that. Not many women have done it. I, I should probably add that on. It's super expensive to add on. I was already there forever, and, and people were getting sick with COVID. And it was it, what happened to me was, I was like, Megan, seriously, climbing Everest it, isn't good enough for you? Are you still not good enough for yourself? You are on Everest right now climbing it and you're not good enough. You have to add that on to, I literally just started bawling. And and yeah, I was like, what the hell am I doing? Climbing Everest isn't, I'm enough. I'm enough for myself, stop this. And and it, and my life changed from right there. 
And so what you're saying, oh, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) What was that moment, like this moment of self-acceptance of I am enough? Where I I push, I push myself and my whole life. Again, I would say I'm a middle kid with learning disabilities. I never felt good enough. I always was pushing the limit to prove myself to others and then myself that I was good enough. Mm-hmm. And my life's work, you know, I've got to the point where I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I got some, I got some good things going on. And, and I got to the point where I didn't care too much what other people thought, but I was my hardest critic on myself constantly. And I did, it was realized I'm like, you are climbing Everest right now. And you are questioning whether this is good enough. And I'm like, you are insane, Megan. And that, that was my moment where I was like, enough, you're good enough. And, and it really sunk in with me. And that's the thing I think with, you're talking about younger athletes and so many people, the lesson that we learn as we get older yeah. is to not care what other people think. Mm-hmm. And that is hard. That is very, very hard. But that's another thing. You do things, drive yourself, not because of what others need or others want. And I think that's an important part of self-love also. Like you were talking about, you're like for yourself. You mm-hmm. wanted to go jump out of that plane mm-hmm. and not for others, not for, I don't really know others that would want you to go jump out of a plane, but anyway, <laughs> but that's the other thing, like proving, proving that moment to yourself. And that's a beautiful self-love moment. And more people need that. More people need to focus on that instead of what others expectations of what others think. It's almost like, um, so many of us, have to meet these conditions and if we come from a, a background of conditional love you know then we have to somehow we think if we do this and this and that and this we then will be enough for wherever whoever gave us conditional love yeah. but we internalize that and then as an adult we're always trying to whether it's impression management whether it's image social media stuff whether it's what's my brand and logo and i want to portray that we're always trying to manage others, whether it's perceptions, interpretations, expectations, but that self-love moment that you just described, where we wanna push our own limits, but for our self-love, it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And there's, and it is interesting, because I grew up with pretty, as much as you can, unconditional love. And that's one of the, I like so grateful for my parents um, pushing, like encouraging me. I'm, I'm self-driven. Like, uh, again, I internally always felt never good enough. And, and that, it came from external things, from being made fun of in school or, or not being able to spell and constantly being ridiculed in, you know, at work. Oh, you're not trying hard enough because you have spelling mistakes on your PowerPoint. But it was that internal internal drive to prove myself and feeling I felt stupid all the time with dyslexia. I, my, my father was a Rhodes Scholar to MIT. My brother was almost perfect SATs. You know, my brother and younger sister don't have dyslexia. I have a very cerebral, very smart family. They never made me feel bad about anything. I made myself feel bad about it. I, 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 I was driving myself, even though I had extremely loving parents. And so it was my own journey to get there. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that moment, that moment where I really fully kicked over into, 
I love myself for who I am at this very moment and I will continue this. And since that moment on Everest last year, um, yeah, my, my, my life has been even, you know, fuller and, and better. And I'm able to say no to stuff and that, that doesn't serve me. Um, and it's been, it's, it's been, I mean, that's a great thing. Like you, this whole, this life is amazing and we just continue to grow. If you choose that yeah. path to continue grit through your entire life, man, yeah. you keep expanding and you just keep going up. And so yeah. And we're not afraid of adversity. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like um, a lot of people live in dread. What's around the corner? Yeah. Some hardship, I promise you. <laughs> adversity is <Yeah. laughs> around the corner. And are we, are we like in a turtle? Are we going to hide? Are we going to let fear dominate us? Are we gonna, or are we gonna live a fearless life, knowing that, yeah, hardships around the corner, but I'm gonna embrace it because my best life is seeing adversity as positive. I mean, I think that that's. I don't want to define you, but I, it seems like that's one of your big messages with grit. Yeah, and that's one of the inspirations that I get from you. Yeah, I, I think you're so right. It, it is, I have found such freedom in the ease, the ease that I have with discomfort now. Like it, um, I talk about, like when I, when I do um, speak to, to groups, I talk about the Everest mindset. Yeah. And it is the ease and the welcoming of struggle and discomfort that you need that mindset for Everest. And that's kind of life. Like, um, yeah, any, any challenge that comes along you accept it and you own it and you move through it. And you have the expectation that I'm gonna get frustrated, this is going to hurt, but I cannot wait to meet who I am on the other side of it because it's gonna be better than who I am today. Yeah. And knowing that, practicing challenge, you get very comfortable with it and knowing, uh, like right now in my life, when a challenge or an obstacle comes up, I'm aware like this of, uh, I, I don't throw a tantrum. I don't, I can't believe I'm like, oh, here we go. Next life challenge. Let's do this. Let's go. <laughs> and, but it's from practice. It's from practicing that. And you can start that in your life at any moment. You can start saying, I'm going to get better at challenges. I'm going to get better at obstacles. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to own this and, and I'm going to take control of this and I'm going to get through it. Yeah. And what I love about that, Megan, is, you know, you're not one to say, come on, everyone, do the Explorer's Grand Slam. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that everyone is going to have their own. Um, Everest. Their own Everest. Their own Everest, yes. Yeah. Is it running a 5K? Is it getting your kid to graduation? Is it, you know, furthering your career? Is it learning? you know, a new language, whatever, whatever it For is. For some, it's answering the phone. Yeah. yeah. And getting off the Xanax and answering the phone. The phone is a trigger. So some people, their their bandwidth of tolerance and what they can handle is so, has gotten so small. Yes. And so everyone is, everyone's on their own different journey. And we just accept with empathy and compassion. 
but not to be afraid of the adversity in front of them, right? Yeah. You're, no, you're, I mean, you hit that right on the head. I mean, that is the problem. And that's why I keep saying it, it's practice. It's, it's not easy. I, I get that. And, and you have to take little chunks at a time, little challenges, start yourself off, um, overcome something. You get such a rush of self-accomplishment that's wonderful. And you put that energy into a little bit bigger chunk. Just keep pushing yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone. And before you know it, you, you, you start developing that ease and you don't have the anxiety. Um, and, and it does start with that first step, which is absolutely the hardest, but that's what I am hoping to teach people with the tools of grit of how to start taking that on and apply it to their life. And correct, that does not mean climbing Everest. That means the simplest thing, running a 5k. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew in the beginning that you and I could talk for eight hours. This is, so we're coming to the end of how much time you have available, but I want to uh, share with our audience to go to grit.com, G-G-R-I-T.com, join um, our newsletter uh, or join Megan's newsletter there. You can follow her journey. Um, you can help her return to Everest with donations. Um, check out Megan's upcoming climbs. She has a lot of great sponsors. She blogs. And there's so much to learn about grit with Megan Buchanan. GGRIT.com. GGRIT.com. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, thank you so much for thank this. You. This is great. Thank it's you for being so such an inspiration. Oh my gosh. Well, let's talk again soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Megan. Take care. Okay.